Welcome to the Movie Muse podcast and as usual for this time of year we're going to take a look back on the year that has just ended and pick out our best and worst movies. However this time around we're not just looking at movies released in 2017 but all the movies we watched during the course of the year old and new as part of our Movie Views 500 challenge. Joining me for the Movie Views 500 retrospective as always are Gordon Sinclair. Hello. And Simon Burton. Hi. And I'm your host Matt Corn. So before we get on with the main focus of this podcast, Christmas was just a few weeks ago, so did you get any interesting movie or gaming related presents? I got a couple of Atari t-shirts, some Sonic the Hedgehog socks, oh I got a book about classic NES stuff, the NES system I know a lot about, it covers in the shape of it, like a scan of a NES cartridge, so that's quite good. And you know, that's pretty much it for me, to do it gaming, not actual games or anything like that. I got a couple of books as well, movie-related rather than games. One of them was, I think it's called the World's Best Bumper Movie Quiz Book, which I haven't looked through yet, but there's hundreds and hundreds of quizzes in there, all various skill levels, so I might throw some questions out in future podcasts. But the other book I got was called Science-ish, and it's two guys that I can't remember the name of. One of them's a professor and one of them's a TV celebrity, and they pick apart the science in films and TV and culture. So they look at things like time travel. So they'll look at films that use time travel and how they've done it. They've looked at The Fly, you know, whether that kind of teleportation is possible. And they talk about whether things are possible now, will be in the future, or are just complete bollocks. And it's a really interesting podcast. I haven't had a chance to look through the book much, but I think it just goes into a bit more detail. And the other thing I got was Ministry of Sound, The Score, which is a three CD movie score compilation from Ministry of Sound. And it's got all of the big movies in there, you know, E.T., Star Wars, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, James Bond, everything you'd expect. And it's a really, really good compilation. The only thing that really annoyed me about it is everything's in there, all these great films. And then they've thrown Game of Thrones in there as well. That's just a TV show. It shouldn't fit on a movie scores CD collection. And having that one thing sticking out just because it's popular really annoyed me. But other than that, it's a fantastic collection and I'd recommend that as well. Is it a mix then? Are they blended together? Just a compilation of the most famous tracks from all of these films. You know, there's Gladiator. You've got Titanic in there, so you have to skip that one as soon as it comes on. But I think there's 58 or something tracks on there. So it's really good. That does sound good. I would have liked it if they tried to mix them together in a, you know, not like a rave, but, you know, kind of just blending some of the tunes together. But maybe that's a bit of a tall order. I got some CDs for Christmas, but nothing movie related. I got a Millennium Falcon T-shirt, but it's done like a Metallica T-shirt. So that kind of ticks two boxes for me. That was quite cool. I got the Planet of the Apes trilogy, the new trilogy. They're all good films. So that was a nice Blu-ray set. I got the orange box for the PS3, which is the Half-Life and Portal games, and I haven't played any of those before, and that will be the last PS3 game I ever play before I finally buy myself a PS4. But the strangest thing that I got, and I got some good stuff, as you know, I'm a fan of Star Wars and particularly R2-D2, and I collect R2-D2 related things, and I got an R2-D2 teapot and also an R2-D2 shaped coffee flask sort of thing, but I don't drink tea or coffee. So they're purely for collectibles' sake and not actually practical. So that was a bit strange, but there you go. I got the orange box on PS3 for Christmas about 2008. Nine, whenever it came out. Only nine years too late then. Still good stuff on it though. Yeah, I started playing Half-Life 2 
I know a lot of people rave about it. I can tell it's not going to be exactly my thing because it's very linear and I'm not really a big fan of first-person shooters, but it was for Portal that I mainly got it. So we'll Fair see. enough. I've never played a Half-Life game before, so I should definitely do that. And there aren't going to be any more of them or it's very unlikely. So anyway, okay. sounds like everyone had a good time anyway. So now on with the review of our movie watching experiences in 2017. And for those of you that don't know, we set ourselves a team challenge at the start of 2017, which was to try and watch 500 different movies between us over the course of the year. We also did a small review of every film and they were added to our ever-growing Movie Views database, which you can find on our website, moviemuse.net. When we started this challenge, we did have four team members, which gave a relatively achievable aim of 125 different movies each. So that's about 10 a month or just over. However, when Graham decided to leave the team in February, things got a little bit tougher. And then Simon went through something of a movie watching drought, sometimes only watching three or four a month. So with the odds against us, did we manage it? Well, if you've checked out our website, you'll already know that yes, we did, as thanks to a good start last January and a storming finish in December, we ended up watching a grand total of 511 different films between us. So congratulations, chaps. Well done. Well done indeed. I've got a few stats to share with you about our movie-watching habits over the year, and then we'll get on with our review of the highs and lows of those 511 films. Let's start with how many films each team member watched and there's no surprise that Gordon topped this list with 291 films which is an average of one film every 1.35 days. I came second with 207 which is one every 1.76 days and Simon made up the numbers with a still respectable 60 films which is one every 6.08 days. So still one a week. I think that's reasonable. That's very kind of you. I'll make a better effort this year. My 290-something sounds good, but compared to 311 last year, it's actually a bit of a downturn in fortunes. I'll have to get my finger out this year. Yeah, must try harder. (laughs) Every film we watched was given a rating between 1 and 5 stars, and the overall average rating given was 3.17, with the most common rating being 3.5 stars, and the least common was 1 star, which was awarded to just 6 films. Individually, though, the ratings look a bit different. Simon was the most generous, giving an average rating of 3.53 to the films he watched, with the most commonly awarded rating being 4 out of 5, which he gave to 22 films. Gordon and myself both gave an average rating of 3.13 to the films we watched, but Gordon most frequently awarded 3.5 stars, which he gave to 66 films, whereas my most frequent rating was 3 out of 5, which I gave to 47 films. That's not really a surprise there, is it? Simon's the happiest and loves everything. You're the grumpiest and like things less. (laughs) I'm probably the most critical in general. Although things do vary a little bit when you look at the least frequent rating. The least frequent rating given by me was one out of five. I only gave two films that score. And at the other end of the scale, your least frequent rating, Gordon, was five stars. You only gave three films the top rating all year. So that kind of flies in the face of what we're just talking about, me being most critical. But even more surprising was Simon. Simon didn't give a single film either one or five stars all year, which makes you wonder exactly how bad or good a film has to be to earn those ratings. <laughs> well, when you watch the least amount of films as I do, you, you tend to try and see the good in all of them. <laughs> that's true. But you watched Back to the Future 2 and you gave it four and a half stars, and that's like in your top ten films of all time. So what gets five stars for you? The, the telephone box. Is that the only <laughs> film that's worth your five stars? <laughs> Who knows? I haven't really thought about it. Maybe you just think there's no film that's perfect, which is fair enough. Moving on, let's have a look at some of the stats for the year of release for the films we watched. And the most common year we watched films from was 2016. 
That was 119 of the films we watched were released in that year, which is more than a fifth of the overall total. Unsurprisingly then, this was the most frequently watched year for myself and Simon, but Gordon's most viewed year was 2017, which he viewed an amazing 103 films from. Needless to say, he's going to be the authority in our review of 2017. Most of that is because of working my way through the BAFTA and Oscar-nominated films each year, because that takes up well over 50 films, so I'd expect it to be the same this year as well. Yeah looking at the decades that we watch films from and given what i've just said it's no surprise to find that the most frequently watched decade was the 2010s if that's what you call them with 330 films watched from that decade for the remaining decades the figures were the 2000s we watched 71 films the 90s we watched 41 the 80s we watched 44 70s we watched 15 and 1960s or earlier we watched 10 films and the oldest film that we watched well you watched it gordon was king kong from 19 1933 although we did also myself and gordon watched duck soup which was also from 1933 but a little bit later in terms of the best reviewed decade the overall highest rated decade was the 70s surprisingly with an average of 3.85 but individually again it's a bit more varied as when we look at the decades where we watched at least 10 films gordon's highest rated decade was the 2000s with an average score of 3.26 mine was the 90s with an average rating of 3.36 and it should come as no surprise what Whatsoever to hear that Simon's highest rated decade was the 80s with an average score of 3.89. There's nothing like covering all our bases, is there? there? 70s, no. 80s, 90s and 2000s. Yeah. So just to round up, let's have a look at the genres that we watched. This is a lot more difficult to categorise because many films span multiple genres and we all have our own thoughts on exactly what genres a film belongs to. But overall, the genre watched most in 2017 was drama, which was a surprise to me, with 162 films falling into that category. However, the main culprit for watching drama films was you, Gordon. You were responsible for watching 144 of those. <laughs> for myself and Simon, it was a bit different. My most viewed genre was thriller, which you could pretty much categorize most films as to be honest simon favored action films there were two genres from our list on the website that didn't get a viewing in 2017 which was westerns and noir films or perhaps it's more accurate to say that nobody classified any of the films they reviewed in 2017 with those genres we definitely all watched a noir film because we all watched brick that's what i thought but in terms of the actual database it wasn't classed as that it seems Mm. so maybe we need to go back and reclassify a few of them And one final thing to note, from those 511 movies, there was only one film that all three members of the crew watched in 2017 that wasn't one that we chose for Film Club or our other podcasts. So in other words, it's the only film that we all watch by choice. Any idea what it was? No. No? The 2016 British zombie thriller, The Girl with All the Gifts, which we rated an average of 3.333 recurring between us. Yeah, which is a film that we looked out for because of Simon reading the book. Yeah, and it was filmed in my local bus station. I loved that. I mean, I have to say that was the best bit of the film for me. The locations were all places I used to, like, hang around skateboarding at when I was a kid and stuff like that. They even left in the final scene where they're having that fight in that shopping precinct. In the background, there's a shop called Cursor, which is an old computer shop that I used to buy games from in the 80s and early 90s. So that was a really cool thing to see because that precinct's all boarded up, so you can't get in there anymore. So it was quite fun to see it in movie form. Yeah, it's nice for the people who know the area as well, because nobody else is going to even know that, are they? So that is a nice touch. Yeah, it's great that the old shopping centre is still there, so they can use it. Indeed. Okay, so that was the stats. 
let's start in the obvious place now by looking at the films we watched that were released in 2017. Now, according to the Internet Movie Database, there were a phenomenal 12,610 feature films released in 2017. That doesn't even count TV movies and things like that. So even Gordon has only watched around 1% of those, but hopefully we've seen enough to give a reasonable overview. So before we talk about what we watched, let's just have a quick look at what the world thought were the best movies of the year. The top five highest grossing films of 2017 were in fifth place Spider-Man Homecoming, in fourth place Despicable Me 3, third was The Fate of the Furious, second was Beauty and the Beast, and first place, unsurprisingly, Star Wars The Last Jedi grossed 1.26 billion and counting because it's still on at the cinemas, obviously. That's amazing for a film that was only released in December, isn't it? Yeah. Critical ratings, I've taken Rotten Tomatoes' freshest five. In fifth place was Lady Bird. Fourth was Wonder Woman. Third was Dunkirk. Second was The Big Sick. And first was Get Out, which polled at 99% approval from 299 reviews. A couple of other things in the top ten there worthy of note. Thor Ragnarok was in eighth place and Star Wars The Last Jedi was in ninth. As we know, critics were a bit polarised about Star Wars even more so the public was more polarized about it and looking at public opinion the imdb highest rated films released in 2017 i've gone for ones that have got at least a hundred thousand votes i'm not going to read out the full top 10 but in 10th place was star wars the last jedi with an average rating of 7.5 i'll jump straight up to the top five now in fifth place was guardians of the galaxy volume 2 Fourth place was Logan. Third place was Thor Ragnarok. Second place was Dunkirk. And first place, with an IMDb rating of 8.3, was Blade Runner 2049. Lots of superhero movies in that top five. That's funny. I've seen every film in all of those lists that you've just given. And there's probably only one film in all of that that I would put in the position that any of those lists did. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by a few of those. I mean, Thor Ragnarok, I haven't seen it, but I wouldn't have thought it would rate in the top 10 of critical ratings and IMDb ratings. I have seen it, and I would say it suffers, like every Marvel film of this year, of not knowing whether it's a superhero action film or a comedy. And that was my problem with Thor, with Spider-Man, with Guardians of the Galaxy. So yeah, that's why it doesn't hit my list, because it doesn't know what it is. One film I didn't mention in the highest grossing films of 2017, in sixth place with 870 million, was a Chinese film called Wolf Warrior 2. Presumably most of that gross was just in China. Have you familiar with that one, anyone? Never heard of that one. No. So yeah, after the top five that I mentioned, that was the highest grossing film worldwide. So maybe worth a look. Definitely, that's one I'm going to check out. So let's move on to our own opinions then. Now we've already compiled a collective top 10 for 2017, which you can see in an article on our website, moviemuse.net. But we're now going to share our personal top three movies of the year and the mini reviews that we wrote for them at the time. Simon, do you want to go first with your top three of 2017? Okay, in third place on my list is Dunkirk. I said it's a well-crafted, almost documentary-style account of a very poignant part of World War II and the heroic actions that took place. I was absorbed by the whole scenario it portrayed and generally cared about the individuals whose stories were played out in the film. My second place is Wonder Woman. A lavish and stylish big-screen reboot of DC female superhero has strong performances and great effects and is very watchable, even if the story's a bit flat at times. I was disappointed there was no invisible plane or spinning costume changes, sadly. It's very different to what you think the TV series was about, and it was completely different to what I actually expected. I expected it modern-day, typical superhero-type thing. It was a completely different take on it. It was more mythical and stylish, and it was very good. I liked the story, and I liked the way it mixed the 
the mythical side of things with World War Two. It was a very good match of two different genres, and I really enjoyed it. And the one I enjoyed the most that came out in 2017 is the Lego Batman movie. Heroes unite. What? Batman works alone. You'll never defeat them alone. We need to work together. I'm going to help too. These are all the good ideas Batman has. No one else has ever had any good ideas. But you can have one. Hot diggity dog. <laughs> Batman, why did you build this thing with only one seat? Because last I checked, I only had one butt. The Lego Batman movie, rated PG. The story is obviously about the Joker wants to take over Gotham, but then there's a really good understory about how the Joker wants Batman to hate him. And when Batman tells him he doesn't care about him, Joker's actually quite upset about it. And he builds up this big plot to try and destroy the city. And so I like the animation of the Lego films, and I just love the interaction, the writing, the dialogue's really good. I just like the gadgets and all the way it's done. And you just get so absorbed in it. You don't think it's just like Lego characters. You know, animated movies come and go. But this was just pure fun, and it was just such a great distraction and you can just go into this world and just watch it and it just puts me back in the mood for lego games and all that again so that's the one i enjoyed most out of my 2017 watches i definitely agree with simon on the lego batman movie i was not a fan of the lego movie in any way i don't understand why people love that film so much it just seemed like an incoherent mess but one day i was in a hotel for work had nothing to do and it was on one of the channels free so i just thought i'll sit down and have a watch of that and it just had me in stitches the whole way through. I thought that the level of the humour was brilliant because it was childish humour, but it was adult childish humour, if that makes sense. And I absolutely loved it. And I thought it really built on the short Lego Star Wars movies where, you know, in some of them, Batman turns up and you've got a crossover between characters who should never meet and that kind of thing. And it took those kind of quite childish Lego scenarios and then just put an adult layer on top. And that was one of my favourite films and probably sits somewhere just outside the top five for me. I enjoyed it a lot more than the Lego movie. As you said, the Lego movie was something designed for people with an attention span of about five seconds. The Lego Batman movie, I didn't enjoy it as much as you two did by the sounds of it, but it was definitely cleverer for sure. And the blend of different villains that they put together, I think was one of the better touches for me where they'd got the Eye of Sauron on the tower and other sort of evil characters, gremlins and things like that. Just this mishmash of random evil characters that they just kind of do all this mayhem through the city and stuff like that. I felt it was still quite childish in places, but overall I think it was good fun. Gordon, do you want to go through your top three, which I imagine is going to be quite different to that? Yeah, very different. And I'd be surprised if either of you have seen any of the three films that are top on my list. So in third place, I've put Mother, which is an American psychological horror film written and directed by Darren Aronofsky. And it stars Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. And the plot very loosely follows a woman who's got this tranquil life with a husband living in the country. And it's disrupted by the arrival of a mysterious couple. But that really isn't what the movie's about. But it's one of those films where you have to go into it without knowing what's going on. Because it's such a mindfuck of a film. If anybody tells you what actually happens, you probably wouldn't want to watch the film. What I said about that was that it's a polarising film that fortunately feels more genius than lunatic. And as the film descends into madness, so does the viewer in a twisted tale of the excesses of love and I wish I could explain it to people because it just sounds terrible when you explain it but somebody needs to watch it so I can talk to them about it Number two is A Ghost Story, a supernatural drama written and directed by David Lowry and it stars Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara Casey Affleck plays a man who dies, becomes a ghost and returns to the house where his wife lives as a ghost and basically haunts her 
but the representation of him as a ghost is him stood in the corner of the room wearing a white sheet. So it's the traditional ghost kind of image that we have from comics and Halloween. Basically, Casey Affleck for the whole film is just stood under a sheet. But it's an absolutely fantastic film. It's a minimalist masterpiece of slow and thoughtful cinema as a white-sheeted ghost tries to reconnect with his bereaved wife. And it's a study on time, and time is a really important factor in the film. It plays to my love of time travel, even though it's talking about the movement of time. It's an absolutely wonderful film, but if you, somebody like Simon, who's big on his action films, probably would fall asleep within the first 20 minutes. The top film for me, no surprises after I've waxed lyrical about Blade Runner often enough, is Blade Runner 2049, which is a neo-noir science fiction film, obviously, directed by Denis Villeneuve, starring Ryan Gosling, and reprising his role is Harrison Ford. You're a cop. What are you doing here? What happened 30 years back? I was long gone by then. I scrambled the records, covered my tracks. Why? Because that was the plan. Because we were being hunted. Because sometimes to love someone, you gotta be a stranger. The strangers. It's set 30 years after the first film, with Gosling playing Kay, who's a Blade Runner, hunting rogue replicants, just like Harrison Ford was in the original film. And my thoughts on that film are that it looks, sounds, and more importantly, feels like a Blade Runner movie. And after last year's arrival, and now Blade Runner 2049, Dennis Villeneuve is definitely the master of thoughtful sci-fi and striking visuals and audio. And I can't wait to see if he can make the hat-trick with whatever his next film's going to be. So Blade Runner 2049, that's my movie of the year. Yeah, I did intend to watch that, but before watching that, I need to watch the original Blade Runner again. I bought the Blu-ray a few months before Blade Runner 2049 came out and still haven't got around to watching it. I think it's one of those films I want to be in the right mood for because I've yeah. not really appreciated Blade Runner perhaps as much as I should in the past. So I'd like to just sit down and soak it all up and you don't always get the chance to do that. I do think that people who weren't necessarily fans of the original might like 2049 more, but it's also extremely long. I think it's about two hours, 50 minutes. So a lot of people won't even give it the chance because it's such a long film, but is well recommended and should get quite a few of the awards this season. Very good. Okay, well, I'll go through my top three as well. With the exception of my number one, I've only seen the top three once each. So my opinion is based on those first impressions at the cinema, which might lead you to be less surprised by the fact that I chose in third place Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. And I have to say, no one's more surprised than me that this made my top three. It's a sort of sequel slash reboot of the 1995 Robin Williams film, which I only saw for the first time in 2017 also. And it sees a bunch of high school kids sucked into the Jumanji video game where they take Take on the personas of the characters they chose, which are portrayed by Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black and Karen Gillan. And in my review, I said it's a straightforward action adventure movie elevated by often hilarious performances from some of Hollywood's most engaging talent and a perfect appreciation of the absurdity of video games. A truly delightful surprise. And as I say, no one's more surprised than me that this made my top three. It's obviously not the most amazing film ever made, but it pains me to say I enjoyed it more than Star Wars. And because I enjoyed it more, it made it into my top three just because it was more fun. Second place, Spider-Man Homecoming, which is the second reboot of the Spider-Man franchise and sees Tom Holland continue in the role of the main character that was introduced to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Captain America's Civil War, which was my favourite film of 2016. Here he has to balance his high school life with that of a superhero as he takes on the Vulture, played by Michael Keaton. I didn't think Michael Keaton was particularly good as the Vulture, but I liked the fact that he was cast as the Vulture after being in that Birdman film a couple of years ago. I thought that was quite a neat touch, really. 
My review for this, I said, Tom Holland proves a worthy successor to Tobey Maguire as Spidey in a film that is equal parts action filler and high school comedy. As with most Marvel offerings, the action is fun but forgettable, but the characters are what makes it watchable. And in first place, another superhero movie, sort of, Logan, directed by James Mangold, who is one of my preferred directors. He's done quite a few films that I like. Hugh Jackman takes on the iconic role of Wolverine for seemingly the last time as an aging Logan and Professor Xavier accompany a young mutant on a journey to the Canadian border and a supposed safe haven whilst being pursued by a private army with dark intentions for their young companion. The world is not the same as it was. Mutants, they're gone now. Not yet. Who is she? You know who she is, Arlen. She needs help. Where we're going, there are more of them. Something's happening to you, Logan. You're not healing. That's right. The old man. Logan. And I said to call this a superhero film does it a massive disservice, an emotional and violent road movie that is a fitting end to the Wolverine story and is exactly the mature film that many have been hoping for from this genre. And that's what really drew me to this film. It was the antithesis of a regular superhero movie with the grim tone and brutal violence. It's a mature film in a genre that doesn't usually have them and it was kind of what I was hoping for from Rogue One. And when I was disappointed by Rogue One and then saw Logan probably a couple of months after that, it was just the sort of film I was looking for. I thought Jackman and Patrick Stewart were both excellent, the latter in particular, as a grumpy and confused old man who just happens to have a mind that's a weapon of mass destruction. Having watched it again recently, the score I thought was fantastic in it. And I think it brings the story to an emotional close, but by setting it in the future, they still leave the opportunity for Jackman to return if he wanted to which I think he might do now that Disney have bought 20th Century Fox and control of the X-Men franchise. It wouldn't surprise me too much if they tempted him back. Well, perhaps surprisingly, one big film from 2017 that didn't make any of our top threes was Star Wars The Last Jedi. We haven't really covered it in any detail. We're going to do that in a future podcast where we're going to dig into some of the controversies surrounding the film. But just quickly, let's go round the table and give it a quick review and a rating out of five. Gordon? I thought it was exciting, thrilling. There were some brilliant moments. It brought back some fantastic characters. There were some awesome twists in there that probably we should have expected, but it seems like nobody did. There were also some silly moments that I can understand why people are moaning about them. My biggest issue with it was too much slapstick humour. I just don't think it was necessary to have the stuff with the pogs, Luke milking the beast and things like that. There were just some silly things in there that could have been left out and would have made the film seem a little bit less of a joke. But overall, I loved it and I will give The Last Jedi 4 out of 5. My review for the movie views, I said, when it's good, it's very good, but when it's bad, it's awful. Overall, the good outweighs the bad, and the film is fun, with a good story along with the usual action and humour. Not as good as its predecessor, but enjoyable nonetheless, and I gave it three and a half stars. I'd just add to that, I think the backlash against it is bizarre, I think. Mm. It's an enjoyable film. At the end, what do you expect from a Star Wars film? I think some people are expecting too much from these films now. It's something made to entertain kids and fans of the original films and sell lots of merchandise and if you can't get your head around that then you should probably stop watching it mark hamill was really good in it and some of the other characters were better than they were in the force awakens some were not as good and overall i thought it was pretty decent the only issue i had with it really was how they dealt with the fate of princess leia or carrie fisher to be more precise but maybe we'll cover that in more detail on a future podcast simon what were your thoughts on star wars 
I quite enjoyed it. I'd have to see it again to really give it an in-depth review because I just don't get it. There was the story, there just wasn't a lot to it. I, I like the Star Wars stuff. I like the music. I like the blasters. But I just didn't get the story. I just didn't think it worked that well. Until I can get back and give it another try, I'm going to give it about three out of five. It wasn't a strong story. There wasn't a lot to it, to be honest. It's a slight chase through space. Okay, let's move on now then to the worst films of the year. And as always, there are plenty of movies that didn't live up to expectations or were just downright terrible. Again, I've got a list of films that were rated the lowest, shall we say. Firstly, from Rotten Tomatoes, their five most rotten films were in fifth place, The Emoji Movie, which got 9% recommendation. Fourth place, also with 9%, was The Nut Job 2, Nutty by Nature. Third place was Rings with 7%. Second place, this is something I've never heard of, but there's 10 films in this franchise. Tyler Perry's Boo 2 and Medea Halloween, 6%. And in first place, it was Just Getting Started, which pulled 5% approval. Never heard of it. Never seen any of those. Yeah, I'm relieved to say I've not seen any of those films. And when we move to IMDb, IMDb's lowest rated films released in 2017, I've gone with anything that's got at least 25,000 votes because there's obviously loads of films that are really terrible that get like 45 votes or something like that because no one cares about them. In fifth place was Transformers The Last Night. Fourth place was Death Note. Third place was Fifty Shades Darker. Second place was Rings, again, with 4.5. But the lowest rated film on IMDb for 2017 was The Emoji Movie with 2.9. Wow. I was thinking of watching that. <laughs> yeah, but you like your uh, little animated films, don't you? Didn't you like the Trolls film? Yeah, it was all right. I liked Home, but you guys didn't like. I watched the Transformers film that's on that list, and yeah, that's absolutely awful. Yeah, I'm happy to say I haven't watched a single film in either of those top fives, and I don't think I'm going to, based on those ratings. So let's move on to the Movie Muse Worst Movie of 2017. Again, we've covered the team's 10 worst films of the year on the Movie Muse website, but which film do we think individually was the absolute pits for last year? Gordon, shall we start with you? I've actually got a top three, so I'll quickly give you that. And in third place is The Hippopotamus, which is a adaptation of Stephen Fry's 94 novel of the same name. And it's basically about a grumpy artist who's invited to some mansion to investigate some miracles that have happened. And it's just horrible. The guy playing the lead, who I can't remember his name, he's just doing a Stephen Fry impression the whole way through the film. And it's like a bad tribute. You know, if you're going to just do an impression of Stephen Fry, just get Stephen Fry to do it. It was absolutely... Absolutely horrible film. In second place was Stratton, which is kind of a spy action movie. And I feel sorry for them in a little way because Henry Cavill was supposed to play the lead. And five weeks before they started shooting, he dropped out. And Dominic Cooper took over and looks like he wishes he wasn't there. And it's probably the worst acting I've seen in a film all year. But the worst film by far is The Mummy. How did you get out of that plane? There's not a single scratch on your body. You are alive because of what you brought on that plane. Who are you? Welcome to Prodigium. We recognize and destroy evil. But this is unlike anything we've seen before. You have no idea what you have unleashed. It was another reboot that nobody wanted, that bombs for just not understanding why the original worked. And it gets everything wrong, from the casting, to the forced comedy, to the plot, to the effects. Even the costuming was wrong. It was just a terrible, terrible film. And if that was supposed to be the start of the new Universal, Dark Universe, or whatever they've called it, I think that's just dead in the water now, because it was such a bad film. 
yeah i think the world agrees with you there i haven't gone for a bottom three but there was a couple of candidates for my worst movie of 2017 i did watch sharknado 5 but i expected that to be awful it doesn't pretend to be anything more than just a low budget silly film so i'm going for a film with a much bigger budget than that which was baywatch which did finish just outside IMDb's bottom 10 for last year. And it's a big screen adaptation of the 90s TV show with Dwayne Johnson taking over from David Hasselhoff as Mitch Buchanan, leader of a lifeguard team that must foil some kind of criminal activity that I can't even remember, to be honest. While you're watching the game, they are watching the Bay. Welcome to Baywatch. You people are lifeguards, not police. You people. Oh, you don't get to say that. You're just tan. Right on. Come on, brother. Why does she always look like she's running in slow-mo? You see it too? You going night-night. You ready to do this? Hell yeah. Whoa, whoa, what are you wearing? Freedom. That's desecration. My review for this at the time said this was never going to be a masterpiece, but the excessively crude language and humour, derivative plot and two-hour running time make it even worse than expected. Aside from a few in-jokes, it completely fails to capture the spirit of the TV show. Now, I was never a big fan of Baywatch. You know, I'm not precious about it, but I always saw Baywatch as kind of... I know it had, like, the busty women and the hunky blokes or whatever, but it's basically a family-friendly, fairly light-hearted sort of Saturday night TV show. And this film's absolutely filled with crude language, crude jokes, gross-out humour. It's really mean-spirited. There's nothing nice going on in the film. Everyone's just trying to get one up on each other and make each other fail and all this kind of thing. They just didn't channel anything from what Baywatch was into this film, and everyone in it is awful especially Zac Efron who plays some disgraced Olympic swimmer who's trying out to be a lifeguard or some nonsense like that it was just like I say I wasn't expecting it to be great but I thought it would be funny and it was just dismal I haven't seen Baywatch but what it sounds like they've done with it is quite similar to what they did with the movie of Chips that was released this year as well where they've added lots of adult humour lots of sexual references and stuff like that but somehow Chips comes out of that okay and I watched it and actually found it funny and I think maybe it was the casting that helped with that but I've seen some of the reviews of Baywatch and <laughs> I like the odd bad film but I won't be putting myself through that no two that hours was... for a film like that as well it's just too much that was my next question what was Chips like because I forgot to watch it last year yeah, I really enjoyed it it's stupid there's some bits that just don't make any sense but it's actually quite funny I can't remember the name of the two actors but they were both really funny and the relationship between them is done really well it's not Chips as you remember it but I think they did a decent job Thanks, Gordon. Simon, what was your worst movie of 2017? I just... The amount of 2017 movies that I'd watched, it just seems really pointless for me to give a worse one. I suppose The Boss Baby, I didn't really dislike that either. What's the secret to happiness, laughter, family and success? It's quite simple, actually. Live your life like a boss. Infiltrate your family like a boss. Drive your tiny car like a boss. Eat big boy food like a boss. Run your meeting full of babies like a boss. Recruit your big brother like a boss. Save the world like a boss. In short, play like a boss, laugh like a boss, love like a boss, and most of all, watch like a boss. Run of the mill animated film, it's all been done before, but it was not a bad story, didn't know what the baby's motives were and stuff, and it all works out in the end, the usual stuff, and yeah, it was alright, well, I gave it 3.5, because I actually quite liked it at the time, maybe I'll just put that back down to 3 now, but it's just a typical animated film, really, nothing spectacular, but nothing that bad about it, but out of all the ones I watched, I suppose that's the one I liked the least. 
I saw it and I didn't like it, to be honest. I think it was one of those films where Alec Baldwin, you've got to get him in that role and that baby and the aesthetics of the baby and what the baby does. And I just didn't. It just didn't work for me. But it reviewed really well, so I was expecting to like it. Okay, we've taken a look specifically at 2017. Now let's take a look at things that we watched for the first time in 2017, but weren't released in 2017. Hope that makes sense. So now we're going to look at the older films we watched last year that we saw for the first time. We're going to give another top three. So I'm going to go first this time. And in third place, I've gone for In Bruges, the 2008 thriller starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson as two criminals who are waiting in Bruges for a contact and things happen, basically, without going into too much detail. I described this as outrageously funny, occasionally violent, yet surprisingly touching. This is undoubtedly Colin Farrell's finest performance in a film that was every bit as good as my friends hyped it up to be. The director of In Bruges, Martin McDonough, he has directed the Three Billboards film that is touted to win big at the Oscars, so it looks like he's back in vogue. Cool. In second place, I've gone for Jack Reacher, the 2012 thriller starring Tom Cruise. My review said, far less action-packed than expected, but all the better for it. This is a clever, thrilling and gripping movie with a brilliant and surprisingly witty performance by Tom Cruise as the anti-hero. I really did enjoy Tom Cruise's performance in that film. It was not what I was expecting at all. Just the way he dealt with every situation really cool and calmly, but with clinical violence at times was really entertaining. My first place film is a film I watched in December called Lights Out from 2016. It's David Sandberg's adaptation of his own short film and it's about what I can only describe as an entity that can only be seen when it's dark and it's terrorising a family in a house basically. What I said at the time was David Sandberg's adaptation is a taut, effective chiller with good characters and some incredible use of sound and light to build tension and you should watch it with the lights off to maximise the scare factor. One of the things I really loved about this film, as I said, it does build up the tension really well with the use of sound and light. It does use a lot of jump scares, but they work really well. But what I really loved about it was the running time of it was 77 minutes. It's a film you can watch any time and there's not a minute wasted, but it didn't need to run for any more time than that either it wasn't fleshed out with useless backstory or character development it just got on with it and it was really good as a result of that so i definitely recommend lights out and if you want to get a taster for it the short film is available on youtube and it's two minutes 45 seconds cool so everyone's got time for that have you seen it gordon i haven't no i know you're not really a fan of supernatural type stuff but the use of the sound and the light in it is fantastic so from a stylish perspective you'd like it i'll check out the short film at least yeah Okay, so let's move on to Simon. What were your three best films watched in 2017 for the first time? Number three is another animated movie, Big Hero 6. So I put on my review as a really great animated film with a wonderful and lovable main character in Baymax, an uplifting story, and great animation leaves you hoping for more. So I was hoping there'd be a second one. I presume there will be at some point, hopefully. It's just a really uplifting story. I like the character of the robot Baymax. He's really cool. And, he, and the way they defeat the evil in the town, it's, you know, it's a sort of standard sort of format for an animated film, but it's just a really nice film. And number two is, let's bring some of Star Wars into it, is Rogue One, Star Wars Story. And I know we have different opinions on this, but I really like Rogue One. 
I've, I've watched it again last week and I watched Force Awakens as well just to get back into the Star Wars mood for watching The Last Jedi and I like Rogue One it's just a really gritty really well done addition to Star Wars universe and tells a story of something that was really important in the whole of the Rebels story getting the plans of the Death Star and trying to defeat this thing it's just a really good Star Wars movie for me but my favourite one for many reasons you know I like a good animated movie and you know I like video games so I'm going to have to say the one I loved the most I watched last year that wasn't a 27 release movie is Wreck-It Ralph I put on my review a wonderful insight into the world of video games that we never see with a great story likeable characters nods to games of all kinds retro and otherwise a clever concept very well executed and it is I just love the story I discover more things in it each time you see it it's just a nice heartwarming story again it's most of the ingredients of an animated movie and because it's got video games in it and lots of characters we all know and love and people love video games so you put that in with a decent storyline animation and the whole thing is a great insight into the world of video games and portray them in a good light both those movies you mentioned both the animated movies I really enjoy both of those I think they were the two films that really brought Disney Animation Studios up to the same level as Pixar in terms of the animation and dealing with themes that perhaps normal Disney films wouldn't have dealt with obviously Big Hero 6 in particular is dealing with the subject of grief which is not something that a lot of animated films have done up to that point Wreck-It Ralph might interest you to know if you didn't know that the sequel is due out later this year we'll perhaps talk about upcoming films towards the end of the podcast Gordon what were your favorite three first time watches in 2017 Okay, so in third place was a 2011 French buddy comedy drama film called The Intouchables. It was a massive film in France, and just nine weeks after its release, it became the second biggest ever box office hit in France, which was pretty good. It's a touching tale of a rich quadriplegic and his very unlikely helper, and it's one of the most uplifting films you'll ever see. Funny heartbreaking, down-to-earth, and it's basically a street kid and a rich man becoming friends, and it's one of the best foreign-language films I've ever seen. Number two is a 1982 satirical black comedy from Martin Scorsese, starring Robert De Niro and Jerry Lewis, The King of Comedy, which is about a struggling stand-up and his very successful idol. De Niro is perfectly cast in a tale that's reminiscent, to me at least, of Dog Day Afternoon, one of my favourite films, and I think the film definitely deserves its classic status. But my favourite film that I watched for the first time in 2017 was actually from way back in 1957. It's the American courtroom drama directed by Sidney Lumet, 12 Angry Men. It's the story of a jury made up of 12 men as they deliberate the guilt or acquittal of a defendant on the basis of reasonable doubt. It's an absolute masterpiece of cinema. It's one location, 12 actors, and some of the best dialogue I've ever heard in film. It was one of the first films to have this single location, and the film's something like 96 minutes long, and I think three minutes are in this room where for deliberation. It stars a number of people like Henry Fonda, and it's also got the guy who played Quincy in the old TV series, and it's just fantastic. It really is a wonderful film, and that is by far the best film I saw in 2017. Cool. I must admit, when I saw you put The Intouchables on the Movie Views database, I thought it was a typo. <laughs> I know you did watch The Untouchables as well, later in the year. Yeah. Thanks for that, guys. Let's now talk about the worst film we watched for the first time in 2017. So, Gordon, what was the worst film you watched for the first time last year? As is my one, I've done three again. So, in third place, I had Passengers, Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt in a science fiction love story. All of the action was in the trailer. There's plot holes that are just a mile wide. And for a romance, there's absolutely no chemistry between the main two characters. It was just dreadful. 
Second was The Love Witch, which you've probably never heard of. It's a 2016 American horror comedy, apparently. And I only watched it because I read Guardian film and they gave it five out of five. It kind of has this aesthetic that makes it look like a 60s sitcom and it looked like it was going to be a horror version of Bewitched. It's absolutely nothing like it and it's just awful. So I have never listened to that reviewer from The Guardian ever since. But the worst film can't be a surprise to you two because you both hated it as well when we watched it for our dual film club podcast it's wrecker the really really poor 2015 remake of dual what i said at the time was this is what happens when you take a classic film change all the best bits and then remake the rest scene for scene i can't think of a single thing to recommend this movie for and to say it had two good looking women in it and i can't recommend it for anything that's not a good sign absolutely it was pretty damn terrible Simon, what about you? Have you got a worst film for 2017? Well, Wrecker was it, but Gordon's taken that. But I will mention another one that I didn't enjoy either. That was 2016's The Witch. I had high hopes for it, but found it lacking suspense, horror, any decent story. I was very disappointed with this arty nonsense, is what I wrote. Two out of five. Yeah, and it wasn't my thing. But then everyone's got to be different, haven't they? I knew Gordon loved his arty stuff, so I just, nah, wasn't interested in that. wasn't very good. But The Wrecker was definitely the worst one for me, really. Absolutely dreadful. So, yeah, I started we go. watching The Witch probably early last year switched it off after 15 minutes so i was probably more with you si but i might have just have not been in the mood for that kind of film because it's quite a slow paced film i think isn't it i've just had a look at my review of it and i said it was tense and just a little bit sick keeps you on your toes despite it being heavy dialogue four out of five <laughs> so a slight difference of opinion on that one then <laughs> yeah my worst film that I watched for the first time, well, I watched a lot of terrible Christmas movies recorded off Freeview TV, but I expected them to be terrible, so I'm not counting them. Instead, I'm going with Sabotage, the 2014 action thriller starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sam Worthington and Olivia Williams. And after watching this, I said, excessive violence, minimal action, and an almost incomprehensible plot, and universally terrible acting from a cast that is largely capable of much better. Truly abysmal one out of five it was just so bad it was a really grim unpleasant plot all the characters were unpleasant but what really got me was it had some pretty decent actors in i don't count schwarzenegger in that particularly he did what he always does and that was okay but sam worthington's been in some okay stuff there was the woman out of the tv show the killing she was pretty good in that but she was absolutely atrocious in this film it was like they'd given all these pretty decent not a-list actors but you know b to c-list actors this script and they just gone this is shit i'm not even going to make any effort with this at all it was just awful you know that's very similar to what i thought of Stratton that i said was one of my worst of the 2017 films and it was some decent actors and apparently it's good source material because it's a series of books and they were hoping that it would become a franchise but they just made such an awful film it's very unlikely but sabotage in my review i said it was a poor story and average acting makes for a bog standard middle of the road film hiding behind buckets of blood but i still gave it two and a half stars which surprises me because thinking back i don't think i thought it was two and a half stars worthy I found over the course of the year things that I rated two and a half to three stars at the start of the year if I went back and looked at them again I'd probably mark them lower I think I was more optimistic at yeah. the start of the year and that left me in a bit of a tight spot later in the year when there were films that were obviously better but I had nowhere to go with the ratings because virtually nothing gets a five out of five obviously some more specific awards now and the first of those is going to be the biggest surprise of 2017 here we're looking for the film that surprised you most in a good or bad way and you can pick any film you watched in 2017 be it from 2017 or earlier 
Gordon, do you want to go first on this one? Sure, yeah. This film's already been mentioned. And I think, Matt, you said you were quite surprised yourself to put it in your list of the best films. It's Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. Despite some absolutely horrible jokes in there that really aren't funny. And Jack Black in a role that just annoyed me the whole way through the film. Jack Black pretending to be a woman just is the worst kind of 80s level bad comedy. But despite that, it was just a real joy to watch. It was just a fun story. Lots of good action. The Rock was brilliant in it as usual. But what I liked the most is turning it from being about a board game into being about a computer game could have been done really badly. And they could have just shoehorned in computer game references, talked about brand name games and done it just for effect. But actually, it didn't insult video gamers. They put some things in that actually only video gamers will understand. They updated the film really well. And if you're going to do a reboot of a film that probably didn't need rebooting, then do it in the right way. And I think they did. So Jumanji was definitely the biggest surprise for me. Probably the difference between how you rated it and how I rated it was Jack Black because I thought it was pretty funny in it. As always, humour is very subjective, so what some people mm-hmm. find funny, other people won't. But I agree with virtually everything else you said. What I really liked about it was the way it picked out certain aspects of video games and made comedy out of them, like the non-player characters who they couldn't mm-hmm. interact with at all unless they said the right things to them and things like that. Also, the bit where they popped up their sort of status bars and they'd got all the strengths and weaknesses i was crying with laughter during that scene in the cinema i I can't even explain why so yeah it might not be as good second time around but at the time it was very entertaining simon do you want to go next with your biggest surprise of 2017 if you've got one i'll tell you what what film that i did enjoy which i hadn't seen before it is the sort of thing i would like because it's a 70s film it's 1976 came out and it's typical of its era but i really really surprised me and that's assault and precinct 13 you know, they get holed up in the local police station and have to sort of battle against this gang who are attacking them. And the criminals have to team up with the cops and the lawyers and stuff and try and stay alive. I've never seen it before. I know they've done a remake of it, but this is the original 76 movie. And I've never, in all the years, never seen it and actually really enjoyed it. It is of its time, but it's really good the way they team up and it's got a good feeling about it. And the violence isn't too over the top. And yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, it's a good film. One of my favourite John Carpenter films, I think. The remake is, as Gordon was saying, if you're going to make a remake, make it good or make it relevant. And the remake is neither of those things. It's just a rehash of the same film, but in the 2000s instead of the 70s. So don't bother with the remake, I think. Definitely. The original is just fine and dandy on its own. You don't need to watch anything else because we're in a different time and being cut off like that isn't possible anymore. No. Great tension in it as well. You know, the game is just cars appearing and you just don't know what's going to happen. It just tightens it up really well. Yeah, the music's a big factor in that as well, which is a soundtrack that we did cover on a previous podcast. The soundtrack by John Carpenter for Assault on Precinct 13. My biggest surprise of 2017 is like Assault on Precinct 13, a low-budget film. It's a horror film in this case. It's called Splinter, which was from 2008. The plot is basically a small group of strangers are trapped in a gas station, besieged by an aggressive splinter fungus that can reanimate its victims. (coughs) Yeah, I know. It doesn't sound great, and I recorded it off the Horror Channel on Freeview TV, which is usually a sign that it's going to be average at best. But it turned out to be a surprisingly smart and enjoyable movie that cleverly disguises the fact that it's low budget by not having the creature on screen very often. And it offers quite an impressive level of characterisation from the small cast. So over the course of the film, all the characters develop. It's also got a comedic edge to it. It's reminiscent in places of Evil Dead 2 and The Thing, and that should be recommendation in 
enough. I did write a hidden gem review for this, which is on the website that goes into a bit more detail about the film. And I might pick it for a future film club at some point as well, because I think it's a much better film than you'd expect it to be. So that was my biggest surprise. Does sound like something that's worth checking out then, because I do like ludicrous plots, the kind of thing you would just pass completely unless somebody's recommended it to you. Well, it's got the single location that you're a fan of for yeah. the most part. It's in a gas station and they have to take advantage of the things in and around the gas station to try and save themselves. Sounds good. So, yeah, it's worth a watch, I think. It's not the greatest film ever made, but it's way better than you expect a film recorded off the Horror Channel to be. Let's move on to an award that I was originally going to call My Rose Tinted Spectacles of Broken. But I decided to rename it as the Bad Nostalgia Trip. So here we're looking for a film that you would say was probably a classic. So something from at least 15 years ago. You thought it was a classic back then, but you've watched it again last year and realised it's not as good as you remember. So I will go first on this one. I could mention Labyrinth again, as I did in a podcast earlier last year. But instead, I'm going to go with The Last Boy Scout, the 1991 action thriller starring Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans as a detective and an American football star, respectively, who must solve a series of murders and uncover a sinister plot within the local pro football team or something like that time has not been kind to this movie with gritty and violent action sequences totally at odds with attempts to inject comedy the dialogue is little more than a stream of cliched one-liners and everyone involved should frankly be embarrassed literally every line bruce willis says in the film is some kind of cliche it's absolutely awful and i remember it being pretty good when i watched it in the 90s but action films have come a long way since then i suppose in some cases so gordon have you got a bad nostalgia trip for us i did struggle with this one because as you've already said most of the films that i've watched have been newer films and i tend not to re-watch films very often so the older films that i watch are usually chosen because i know the good but i did find one and it was a film that i went to the cinema to see back in 1989 when i was 17 years old probably because I thought there was going to be some sex scenes in it or something like that. I think it was an 18 and I got in at being 17 because I was very young looking at the time anyway. So just getting in six months before my 18th birthday was a big victory for me. And it's the film Scandal, which is kind of a fictionalised account of the Profumo affair about a minister having an affair with a woman who had also been seeing some Russian minister or something like that. Back then, I thought it was a really good film. Loads of intrigue and really enjoyed it. But watching it again, I just thought that despite it being based on a scandal that almost took down a whole government, the film's so light on intrigue and it's got little to keep you entertained apart from some really, really bad acting. But the best thing about the whole film is Ian McKellen's got this really funny hairpiece on the whole way through and you just can't take your eyes off his hair. His hair just dominates the screen every time it's on. And I just thought, I can't imagine why I thought it was a good film in the first place. It's actually a pretty dull story, badly told. I've never seen the film, actually, but I can imagine the best thing about it was that poster of Joanne Wally Kilmer, is it? Yeah. Astride the chair. I imagine that attracted a lot of people to go to the cinema at the time. Yeah, that's probably why I went, to be honest. Yeah. I remember being quite intrigued by the poster at the time, even though I had no interest in the film at all. Yeah, I do remember there was one scene where she's in some lingerie, and I do remember having to try and find a comfortable position to sit at that point. <laughs> and being a spotty 17-year-old. But, but yeah, that's about the only good thing I remember from the film. Yeah. Okay, Simon, have you got a bad nostalgia trip from last year? 
Well, yeah, it's one that guys never liked anyway. And looking back on it, it's not what I remember it like. And that slap shot, I watched it when I was a teenager and we thought it was quite fun with all the eye violence and the, the handsome brothers and all the rest of it. And I didn't mind it. I quite enjoyed going back to it, but it was not like I remembered it at all. You know, Paul Newman carries it really and doesn't even look that interested in it anyway. And there's not a lot to it, to be honest. And the ending's just stupid. I didn't like it at all at the end, with him just ripping off. But it was just not like I remembered it, to be honest. I think my review of it when we watched it for the film club was that it's a sports comedy with no sport and no comedy. So uh, (laughs) what's left to watch? Yeah, this was one of our film club reviews last year. And my review of it was there are a few humorous moments at either end of this film, but the story is so marginal that an hour could easily be removed from the middle and have barely any effect. While Paul Newman seems either bored or embarrassed to be involved. Yeah, I put a slice of 70s nostalgia. I find it a like of a linear experience. Paul Newman carries it. I quite enjoyed visiting after many decades since I last watched. But that was then when I just watched it. And looking back now, I don't really enjoyed it that much, to be honest. One thing that you did say, Simon, when we were talking about it on the podcast was, I like these bleak 70s settings. <laughs> well, I do like it, that. That's why I like Assault and Precinct 13. I love all that dilapidated crap. <laughs> yeah, I get it for a thriller, but not for a comedy. Well, oh, well. To be fair, I did like the Hanson brothers. They were good, and they added something to the film. But take them out, and there was nothing else to watch. They're actual ice hockey players as well. <laughs> Two of them are brothers, and they actually are ice hockey players. They do have a third brother, but he couldn't make the film, so they had to get someone that looked a bit like them, who was also an ice hockey player. They actually played Major League Hockey. Perhaps that's why they gave the most convincing performances in the yeah. film, then. Okay, let's move on to the flip side of that. Good Nostalgia Trip, a classic film you watched that is still just as good as you remember. Simon, do you want to kick us off with this one? Yes, thanks, Matt. A film, again, I hadn't seen it for a long time, and it was a real pleasure to watch it again, and that's 1979's mod, The Rockers Extravaganza Quadrophenia. I hadn't seen it since I was probably in my teens, and yeah, it was everything I remembered it. It's good character, Phil Daniels stings in there. Good story, well choreographed scenes, obviously, with the, they had a lot of people on screen at once, interspersed with actual footage of the 60s on the beach at Brighton, and I just think it captures that moment excellently, and I really, really enjoyed it. The only thing I did find quite amusing on it. Phil Daniels sits up in his bed after being out and had a really bad night and a train goes past the rock end of the garden it's an intercity 125 which didn't come out until the 70s 1976 to be precise but then if you look at them driving down the street on his scooter at the start all the cars in the background late 70s cars and it's supposed to be in the 60s they haven't disguised them at all but I just think that adds to the charm of it all so I just think that's quite funny. He's such a geek Simon. Even non-geeks would notice late 70s cars brand new escorts of Cortinas and all kinds of new cars at the back that weren't even out in the 60s <laughs> it is a brilliant film though i have yeah. enjoyed over the course of the year simon your criticism of <laughs> the inaccuracies in the transport methods and things like that in the various films that we've watched yes what was it the one about the trains yeah, and last one of the stations was wrong that train doesn't go off of that line on. <laughs> they've been good <laughs> They shouldn't do a film on the bloody line I used to commute on, should they? (laughs) (laughs) Don't expect me to notice things that aren't right. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, let's move on. My good nostalgia trip was War Games, the 1983 film starring Matthew Broderick as a computer hacker who accidentally almost starts World War III and must stop it along with co-star Ali Sheedy. And I've not seen this for quite a long time, probably a good 10 to 15 years. And I thought it still held up pretty well. The Cold War may be long over, but the message of the film is actually still surprisingly relevant. It's aged better than most teen adventure films from the era thanks to serious subject matter and decent acting. And overall, it's still a pretty enjoyable film. Probably enjoyed it more 
than I thought I was going to when I watched it. And it's obviously got all the retro computery stuff in, like connecting to the network with a phone where he plugs it into the little modem that holds the phone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a good film. I watched it about two, three years ago, and I still like it. Still quite relevant. I like nuclear war and all that kind of shit. Anyway, so it's, uh... you like that bleak war kind of look. I like that. <laughs> I was just going to say about war games, I haven't seen it for a long, long time, probably because I think it's boring. But I don't think it's boring because when I watched it, I thought it was boring. I just have got it in my head that I would be bored now if I watched it again. Mm. But maybe not. Maybe I'd actually enjoy it, so maybe I should give it a go. Well, it can go one of two ways. It could be a good <laughs> nostalgia trip or a bad nostalgia trip. Yeah. My good nostalgia trip, it's not a new thing because I watch the film every four or five years. I already know that Simon hated it and Matt is ambivalent about it. And it's Space Jam, the 1996 live-action animated hybrid starring Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes. For some reason, the film's had a bad press recently. But I think it's genuinely funny. The animation's brilliant still to this day. And it's still my favourite film for sick days. Sat on the couch with a glass of banana milkshake, duvet over me, sniffling with a box of tissues, watching Space Jam is just the perfect day not to be at work. I could think of other films to watch with all that combination of tissues and duvets, <laughs> but Space Jam for you, mate, that's fine. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Let's move on to our final category of our 2017 movie watching year. Hidden Gem. Was there anything you watched this year that is obscure but well worth a watch? Gordon, you may as well go first on this because you must have a list as long as your arm. I actually don't. I've only got just the single film on this one. The film I've gone for, unusually for me, is actually a documentary. And it's a semi-animated documentary. So it's a film called Tower. And it's about the 1966 shootings at the University of Texas in Austin. And basically they reenact some of the bits using kind of rotoscope animation. And they show archive footage, photographs, talk to the people involved. And it's absolutely fascinating. Initially, the animation jars with the archive footage because you've got this really nice and clean animation and then you've got this old 1960s film. But you soon forget about the art style and just get engrossed in what actually becomes a bit of a thriller more than a documentary. And it's quite heartbreaking that it's a true story. It was a film that, you know, I just stumbled on and wasn't in the mood for watching a normal film. So just thought, I'll stick this on. And I was absolutely engrossed throughout. I definitely welled up a couple of times. It was an absolutely fascinating documentary. So I was really pleased with that one. It's called Tower and it's from 2016. Okay, interesting choice. Simon, have you got a hidden gem from anything you watched this year? Well, there's one film that I didn't go into it really knowing anything about it, and I really, really enjoyed it, and that's Super 8. I don't know if it's hidden gem status, because I'm sure loads of people have seen it. But for me, it was just, I really enjoyed the film. I wasn't expecting anything out of to be honest. I put on it as a very well-crafted movie, strong characters, and interesting story that unfolds in a drip-fed style, which keeps you watching highly entertaining. And I've just really enjoyed it, too, right? I think it's a great movie. Fair enough, yeah. It's certainly not a hidden gem, but it's a good film. I enjoyed it as well. It's very Spielberg-influenced, as you'd expect, because J.J. Abrams is a Spielberg disciple, but with its own twist as well. My hidden gem, as I mentioned earlier i did watch a lot of christmas films this was the only christmas film i recorded off the tv that was any good rare exports a christmas tale from 2010 it's a dark comic twist on the santa claus legend which hints at being a horror film but never truly follows through with it it's well put together on a modest budget featuring a brilliant performance from oni tomilla who would go on to star in big game 
big games of film I mentioned last year, I think, which stars this Finnish kid, Oni Tomila and Samuel L. Jackson. It's kind of an action film. Watched that again in 2017 as well, actually, and enjoyed it again. But this Finnish film is done by the same director of that film, which is Yalmari Helander. And as I said, it hints that it's going to be a kind of a horror film. It's got these sort of Santa zombies, but it actually turns out to be more of an action film. It's kind of reminiscent in places of The Thing. It's got a giant Santa Claus horned demon character in it, which you kind of see glimpses of. There's some other fun stuff going on. It's all set in the dark because it's in Finland in the depth of winter, so it's dark nearly 24 hours a day. It's just a fun film, something different for a Christmas film as well. Very different to the normal heartwarming Christmas tale. The only disappointment is that you never actually get to see the big horned Santa demon in action. But if you're looking for a Christmas film with a difference, then Rare Exports should be the one, I think. Never heard of it. Sounds good. Okay, that rounds off our review of everything we watched in 2017, but we're not quite finished. As always, as the years go by, some of the big names from film and TV sadly pass away and 2017 was no different. So Gordon's going to give us a quick overview of some of the big names that sadly passed away in 2017. Yeah, so Rodney Buse, best known as Bob Ferris in The Likely Lads and was also loved for playing Mr Rodney in the original Basil Bush TV series. He died in November, just shy of his 80th birthday. John Hurt, the BAFTA-winning actor who had a career of more than 50 years and is best known for the famous chestburster scene in Alien and roles in films like The Elephant Man, Champions and Midnight Express. He was also once described by David Lynch as simply the greatest actor in the world. He died in January age 77. George A. Romero, often referred to as the Godfather of the Dead, the Canadian filmmaker, is of course most famous for his zombie apocalypse movies and he was also 77 when he died in July. Peter Salis, despite the famous northern tones that were put to good use to voice Wallace in the Wallace and Gromit films and as Cleggie in Last of the Summer Wine, Peter Salis was actually born and raised in London. He was 96 when he died in his nursing home in June. Harry Dean Stanton, just like his alien co-star John Hurt, Stanton had a career of more than 50 years with roles in films like Cool Hand Luke, Godfather Part 2 and Pretty in Pink. He died at the age of 91 in September. And Adam West, the 1960s Batman TV star, he was 88 when he died in June. The Batman TV series only ran for just over two years, but they made 120 episodes in that time. And Adam West's final performance of Cape Crusader was in the Batman movie that was released two months after the show ended. Roger Moore, despite starring in other films and two highly successful TV shows, The Saints and The Pretenders, will always be remembered for his six James Bond films, from Live and Let Die in 1973 to A View to a Kill in 85. And finally, Bill Paxton, the Texan movie actor known for his roles in modern disaster movies like Twister and Titanic, and for playing hardman roles in action films like Predator 2, and most notably Aliens, where his iconic cry will mean his memory lives on with video gamers for the rest of eternity. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Yeah, that last one's particularly sad, dying at such a relatively young age and still with a pretty good career ahead of him, potentially. There's another chap I'd like to mention who also died last year in January, age 61, Miguel Ferrer probably best known for his portrayal of Bob Morton in Robocop but he had a career that spanned over 35 years featuring in movies TV shows and voice acting for animation and video games I'll always remember him best though for his portrayal of FBI forensics expert Albert Rosenfield in Twin Peaks which is a hilariously abusive cynical but ultimately lovable character and he returned to that role for the new series of Twin Peaks last year which proved to be one of his final performances 
So we've finished talking about 2017. Let's have a quick look what's coming out in 2018 and see if there's anything that excites us. Now, I've had a quick look through the big name films due to come out in 2018. I'll reel off a few of them now. Overall, I've got to say, it looks like 2015-16 Revisited. We've got lots of sequels and spin-offs, including Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Pacific Rim Uprising, Mission Impossible 6, Johnny English 3, Creed 2, Wreck-It Ralph 2, Mary Poppins Returns, and Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And also, how's this for a spin-off? Bumblebee the movie, a spin-off from Transformers. Pretty sure nobody wants that. Superhero movies, once again, plenty of those. Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Deadpool 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Venom, X-Men Dark Phoenix and Aquaman. We've got some remakes and reboots of Death Wish, Scarface, Overboard, yet another instance of Robin Hood, a remake of A Star is Born, and Halloween gets another outing. Lots of animated junk, including Peter Rabbit, Monster Family, No Malone, Animal Crackers and Smallfoot couple of video game adaptations in Tomb Raider and Rampage and other notable releases for 2018 include Incredibles 2 which is animated superheroes and a sequel Solo A Star Wars Story Ready Player One and Mortal Engines which is the latest offering from Peter Jackson director of the Lord of the Rings trilogy so Simon anything stand out out of that lot? Oh blimey Wreck It Ralph 2, obviously, because I just really enjoyed the first one. Again, the animation kind of films that I like. There's quite a few different ones in there, but I suppose Wreck It Ralph's one I'll be looking forward to. And maybe the Han Solo story, I don't know. There's probably a few that I'd watch. I've not really given it much thought, to be honest. Okay, Wreck It Ralph 2, in principle, it sounds like it could be quite decent. It's basically Wreck It Ralph gets stuck in the internet and breaks it. But I read this on Wikipedia, and this makes me really fear the worst for this film. The film will also feature appearances of all the Disney princesses, including Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, etc, etc. Why? It will also feature C-3PO, R2-D2, Yoda and Princess Leia from Star Wars, and Iron Man and Gamora from Marvel Comics will appear in the film as well. So they've gone from video games to just any pop culture now. That's a shame. Yeah, it sounds like it could be absolutely awful. They basically just chucked every IP that Disney owns into one film by the sounds of it. Mm, so yeah, that okay. doesn't bode well, I have to say, for that film. <laughs> really disappointing. Deadpool 2 is coming out, isn't it? So I enjoyed the first one, so that might be quite good. Yeah. Gordon, anything stand out for you? Yeah, and surprisingly, for somebody who likes arty and dialogue-heavy films, I've gone for three films that are very much not any of that. Tomb Raider, which is going to be based mostly on the 2013 Tomb Raider game. Alicia Vikander just seems perfectly cast as Lara Croft. The trailer that I saw looked brilliant, apart from a few stupid stunts that were a bit overdone. And I'm really hopeful that that's going to be one of the first truly entertaining video game films. The next one is Black Panther. I'm so over Marvel. I've had enough, especially because all of the films, apart from Logan in 2017, as far as I'm concerned, were the same film. I didn't really enjoy any Marvel film apart from Logan. And even that I wasn't completely convinced by. But Black Panther looks like it's going to be the middle ground between Logan and Spider-Man and all the others because it looks like it's going to be gritty and grown up, but not bleak and depressing and unrelenting like Logan. So if it's somewhere in between those two without all the silly comedy, then I'll be very happy. So Black Panther, I'm definitely looking forward to. But the third film, I didn't even know until I did a bit of research that it was coming out. 
And I think I might have even done a little chuckle to myself when I saw it. And The Purge has got a new film coming out, and it's actually a prequel called The Island. But it's due out on July the 4th, and I'm really looking forward to that and to see how we got to The Purge. So that is definitely the film I'm excited for the most in 2018. Yeah, the Purge trilogy that we've already seen was decent, so yeah, that could be good. Black Panther, I just can't take the character seriously. It's like this fearsome Batman-esque character, I suppose. He's got the black costume and he's obviously a wealthy guy, but his weapon is like half-inch long claws. He'll stand there and strike this pose and then these half-inch long claws will pop out of his gloves and it's like, is that it? But aren't they made of adamantium or something like that? So Probably, well, yeah. I just think he is Batman, plus he's got these claws. So, isn't that Ace? No. <laughs> it's just it's really stupid. It was stupid in Captain America Civil War. Yeah, I just can't take the character seriously. One thing that I did read was that for pre-sales on the first day of a film being announced, Black Panther is the best-selling pre-sale of any Marvel film ever. Really? Yeah, apparently. It's directed by the guy who directed Creed, isn't it? Ryan it is, Googler. Yeah. It's also got the guy who played Creed in it. It's definitely a championing the African-American, it, shall we say. It is, and it's better. got a lot of big African-American actors in it, and it's got a very African aesthetic to it. It's based in a fictional African country, so it's not a surprise that that's happening. But the article I read was saying that basically it's the first kind of all-African blockbuster that there's been. You know, we've had other films, you know, like The Colour Purple and things like that. You know, they're a kind of audience that like a specific kind of film. But this is the first black or African film that is for the masses. So that's why they think it possibly could be Marvel's biggest film ever. Hmm, perhaps so, we'll see. Another big Marvel film is Avengers Infinity War, which has something like 70 superhero and villain characters in it. I mean, all of which presumably are going to be vying for their three minutes of fame on the screen. God. I mean, the concept sounds ridiculous, but I must admit the trailer does look quite fun and I will probably go and see that. One film that I'm looking forward to is Creed 2. The original Creed was really good. But what really got me intrigued about Creed 2 is apparently it's going to feature Ivan Drago in some respect. So it features his son. They've just his cast son. his son, who's a real boxer, who I think he's something like six foot nine or something. Yeah, so are we going to see Creed versus Drago, yeah. the revenge or oh, something like that? And the one that Simon mentioned, Solo, a Star Wars story. I don't think anyone's got any expectations for this film, have they? Nobody wanted the film particularly. Nobody cares about it being made. The directors, as were, got sacked halfway through the making of the film and most of it was reshot under the direction of Ron Howard. I've got a sneaking suspicion it might be quite good because no one expects anything of it it might be a bit of a surprise i don't know why people are so down on the fact that they're doing a solo story he's a big character in the star wars universe why wouldn't we have a film about him i'm of the same opinion that everything seems to have gone wrong for it so it could be a disaster but i actually i'm like you i think it probably will turn out to be a good film oh, i hope so I've been running scams on the street since I was 10. I was kicked out of the flight academy for having a mind of my own. I'm going to be a pilot. Best in the galaxy. Hey, kid. I'm putting together a crew. You in? That's yes. I'm 
might be the only person. Who knows what you really are. What's that? Get ready. Thought we were in trouble there for a second, but it's fine. We're fine. It's got Woody Harrelson in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as you can get your head around the fact that it's not Harrison Ford as Han Solo, then I don't think there's an issue, really, is it? Let's change his name to Woody Harrison Ford. <laughs> Just looking through the list of films, there's some absolute shocking old shite coming out, isn't there? Mamma Mia 2, we, we didn't want the first one. I had to suffer that over and over again in the past. I actually saw a little bit of it. Oh, my holy God. On Christmas. It's shocking. They can't even sing. It's terrible. Do we really read Mission Impossible 6? I thought that died years ago. Is that still going, is it? Barbie, yeah. the movie. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, I know. Is that Scarface, an actual remake of Scarface? A reimagining of it, I Oh, think. right, okay. Yeah, I mean, a remake of Overboard. Why does anyone think that was a good idea? I just look at the list of films for 2018 and just think, I'm probably mostly going to watch films from 2017 and 2018, just to catch up. There does look to be some absolutely shocking rubbish there. Mowgli. Mm. Oh no, that one does look good. I couldn't get my head around that, so it's another telling of the Jungle Book story, but it's not licensed by Disney as far as I can tell. No, it's not a remake of the Disney film, it's a retelling of the book. It was supposed to be released around the same time as the Disney one, and they've delayed it a couple of times to just get that out of people's systems, because it would have been a bit stupid releasing them both within a couple of months of each other. So I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, there must be some decent original films amongst all that stuff, but I just can't see them in the list. All I can see is sequels, remakes, animated garbage. And I like animated films, but all those animated films this year look dreadful. We wouldn't know, would we? Because we look at these lists and we pick out what sounds good to us. But would we be reading about a film that has got a name we've never heard of? And Like this year, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. If I saw that on a list of what films are being released, I would just skip past it. I wouldn't even look at the synopsis but I've seen it and it's absolutely fantastic I will say one thing I am never ever watching Mary Poppins Returns <laughs> no I can't send the first one it's pompous ass that she's in it and just annoys me that film so I'm not watching the second one I mean lots of people obviously consider Mary Poppins to be a classic whether you agree or not is irrelevant why would you want to make a sequel to it 60 70 years later or whatever it is it's crazy the only one that stood out to me other than the ones we've talked about mortal engines which is peter jackson's new thing which is based on some series of novels where everyone lives in cities that are mobile and the cities move around this landscape and fight each other somehow so that could be visually interesting yeah don't know much about the stories that it's based on at all but that might be good peter jackson's good for a lengthy action-based film that's way too much longer than it should be but still entertaining yeah it'll probably be a trilogy though won't it yeah well it is a trilogy of books actually <laughs> yeah well it'll six films then <laughs> yeah one thing we didn't talk about was a film that i would have expected us to ready player one my name's wade watts my dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego like peter parker or bruce banner but he died when I was a kid, my mom too, and I ended up here, sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go, nowhere, except the Oasis. 
whole virtual universe. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. But they stay because of all the things they can be. Can you feel this? Um, yeah. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. I read the book. It was entertaining for what it was. I didn't think it was a great story. It was just a means of bringing lots of nostalgia into a story that was a pretty straightforward dystopian future story. But it must work better as a film than a book. That was my thought. I absolutely hated the book. I thought it was just throw as much nostalgia as you can in a meat grinder and see what comes out. But I can imagine visually that would be fantastic. So I'm hopeful for the film, even though the book is the worst book I've read in the last 10 years. Not that I've read that many books, to be honest. But I still think the film could be great have you read the book si i've got it you lent it to me ages ago and it's in my shelf i still haven't been reading it my friend at the book club i wouldn't have expected to be in the slightest bit interested in this kind of book and she thought it was great she said you've got to read it it's about stuff you like and it's a really good book so i was like wow it's quite critical it's not a great story i don't think it's not an original story but it's got some clever bits and pieces in it i can't remember what film they submerge him into in the book can you gordon ferris bueller's day off ferris bueller's day off yeah 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 so if they can recreate that in movie form I really hope to do that scene because some of it they're not going to be able to get the license for and they're going to end up having to switch things out aren't they so it'd be interesting to see what they do but I do hope they get the Ferris Bueller's and that scene's in as it's done or just any similar sort of 80s teen movie you know the breakfast club or something like that whatever they can make it work with but yeah I suppose. if they can do that with digital manipulation to put the extra characters in that would be really clever and i've seen the trailer for it it's got the delorean in and a tron light cycle and things yeah like that. so that's it's got cool. a load of stuff that's not even in the book as well so yeah. a lot of films and games and things that aren't in the book are in there so they've thrown even more at it but it does look like it could be visually stunning just checking on Wikipedia, actually, and it wasn't Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it was War Games that was featured in the book, which I was talking about earlier. Okay, so that brings our retrospective to an end, but our movie-watching shows no sign of abating, and we will be continuing to add new reviews to the Movie Views database on a weekly basis. Many of these will be used to create box set reviews, director's league entries, and who knows what else. So keep visiting moviemuse.net to see what we've been watching, check out our Facebook and Twitter feeds at Movie Muse UK, and we'll be back soon with another exciting podcast. Bye for now.